This morning we're reading from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of God for the people of God. This Sunday before Easter is most commonly known or referred to as Palm Sunday. But in the liturgical calendar of the church year, it also is noted as Passion Sunday or Passion Week is that last week that Christ lives on earth. It refers to his suffering, or in the Greek, pathos or pathos, his passion, his deep feeling even unto suffering. Our scripture this morning begins to tell of how this plot to betray and kill Jesus unfolded. And it gives us some foreshadowing of what Jesus sees in his future. And what he sees, of course, is betrayal and arrest, death and doom. This last week, all things are not as wonderful and colorful and rosy as the palm processional when he entered Jerusalem. We get a hint of this betrayal and how it begins to unfold in this chapter 14 of Mark. In that very first verse when Mark tells us that the chief priests and scribes are looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. They have a clear intent. They want to put him to death. And we get a little glimpse of how Jesus sees this unfolding and the meaning of he brings to it in verse 8 when he's speaking of this unnamed woman who's coming to this dinner occasion and he says that she has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. He is expecting to die soon. 
And then in verse 10, Mark goes on to tell us what Judas does in terms of deciding to betray him and to cooperate with the chief priest. And then on into verse 11, how he talks to them about that, how they are pleased, and how he, how he begins to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So those specifics begin to unfold of how this last week is going to be. But the Palm Sunday part is really back in chapter 11 of Mark. If you have your Bibles there, go ahead and flip them back to the 11th chapter and you'll see a description from Mark about how it was a glorious occasion and people came together declaring that Christ is King and waving palm branches and laying them on the road before Him and singing Hosanna. But even right after that, you begin to realize something is amiss as Jesus curses a fig tree. Then he goes to the temple, and as Dr. Kroll mentioned his prayer, raises the stakes as he cleanses the temple by running out the money changers. And then he gets into this debate or discussion or dialogue with the chief priests and the scribes and the local authorities, and they're going back and forth around many different questions about faith and how we're to live and how we're to deal with the authorities in charge and all of those kinds of things. But it comes to a point where they ask him about what is the first commandment, and he tells them the first or the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then in that, we have a capsule of Jesus' rationale for going to Jerusalem. His reason for being, his mission, if you will, is unfolded as he tells people what he thinks is most important. And it's love of God and love of his fellow human beings. But then we hear him tell his followers that not only is he facing his own doom, but that there are going to be persecutions for any who follow him. That there are going to be difficult and hard times for any who try to follow the way that he has been teaching about and the way that he's been walking. And he tells them to beware and to be on watch and to stay alert. And then that brings us to this 14th chapter where we read today where the plot begins to unfold about how this betrayal will happen. And then right after where we read, he goes on to celebrate Passover. Now remember, if we're going to understand this, Passover is commemorating that time where God has delivered the Jews from the hands of a foreign oppressor, Egypt. Now Jesus chooses to go to Jerusalem for this confrontation at the time of the Passover where everyone will be thinking about that. Because there are some parallels here in terms of a foreign oppressor, this time it being Rome, that the Jews are laboring under. And Jesus is believing that God will deliver His oppressed people once again. And so He turns the Passover into the Lord's Supper and talks about a new covenant between God and His people. Jesus believes that God has cared for His people, particularly in that Passover story of deliverance, but throughout history in that God can be trusted and God will provide for His people in His time as they deal with the foreign oppression 
of the Romans, that they will be lifted, that they will be given liberty and freedom. And right after he institutes the Lord's Supper, Mark tells us that he and the disciples go outside to sing a hymn. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Mark gives us some insight into Jesus' state of mind in terms of how he's feeling about all of this. In the same chapter 14 where we read earlier, now in verse 34, and Jesus said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He is facing his final hours of life on earth, and even for Jesus, it is a deeply disturbing prospect. We are human. That means we are finite. We are all going to die. Every one of us will come to a time of death. We only live in these bodies for so long. And then we come to that time of death. And even though we know that, it comes to us when we think about it as a very unpleasant reality. And yet, reality all the same. There was a song that I really liked that was on the radio. I thought it was just a couple of years ago, but when I looked it up this week, imagine how time flies. It was popular in 2004. Some of you probably maybe weren't even born. I thought it was just the other day. But it just goes to show you how the impact this song had on me because it was very vivid in my memory. It was sung by Tim McGraw. The song is called Live Like You Were Dying. It tells the story of two guys, friends. One of them has just gotten a diagnosis from his doctors that he's terminal, that he's going to die. And the other friend says, what do you do when you get that kind of news? And he says, well, after the initial shock, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And he begins to talk about his zeal for living because he knows his time is short. And then he says at the end of the chorus, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. How do you live your life? How do you use the time you have here on earth? Well, Jesus is in that situation where he sees his death right there. He's standing in the shadow of an impending death. And I think we gain some insights into our own living and dying if we notice how he faces his death. I want us to particularly notice how he is grieving but still moving forward. In verse 36, right after Mark has told us that he's thrown himself on the ground to pray, Mark says that Jesus prays this way and says, Abba, Daddy, Father, 
For you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. But not what I want. But what you want. Three little phrases in that short prayer. But notice that he starts with a belief, a deep belief, I think, and trust in God's providence when he says, Father, for you all things are possible. Here in the shadow of the Passover, he's remembering that God has delivered people and given them freedom and brought them out of slavery. And he's saying, oh God, I know you can do all things. And then in the next phrase, he offers up what he thinks is the best solution. How about you remove this cup from me? How about you do something dramatic so I don't have to suffer and die right now? That's the most common prayer when any of us face our own death is how about not now? How about a little later? How about I get healed now? How about someone who I love doesn't have to go so soon? Jesus is praying the same prayer. Saying, oh, oh God, I know if you want to, you can remove this cup. I think that's a good idea. But he finishes in the third phrase, yet not what I want, but what you want. Finally, because his trust in God's providential care is so deep, he offers his life and faith back to God to use him how he will, to allow these events to unfold even if they include suffering and death. But you sense his desire that perhaps it might go another way, even though he can see it looming. He can sense his own personal doom is right there. He's still praying, oh God, if, if I've misunderstood, if it can go another way, if this can happen without my own suffering and death, how about that? Most of us can identify with Jesus in that moment of hoping that somehow it will go different when we know it's terminal. And the song I told you about in the chorus, it talks about not only did the fellow go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and bull riding, but he also changed some other things in his life. He says, I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness that I have been denying. When I heard that the first time I was driving in my car, it was, the song was on the radio. And I thought, oh my gosh. I've just heard the gospel proclaimed over the airwaves on a country music station. Love deeper. Speak sweeter. And give forgiveness. That happens best in my life when I follow the example of Christ and offer my life in service to God. And when I offer myself to God, then 
It allows God's grace to flow through me so that I can love deeper or speak sweeter or offer forgiveness that I've been holding on to in my own life. Are you ready to love deeper and speak sweeter and offer forgiveness to someone who needs to hear a word of grace? The example Christ gives us is to offer our lives to God and allow God to use us as God will. And the good news for you and me is that Christ has gone before us and shown us the way and revealed to us that even in desperate situations, even in times of suffering, even when we're sensing our own personal doom, that God can be trusted to be at work for our good, for bringing to us the very best that life has to offer, for helping us understand the depth of all it means to be a child of God, even in the face of suffering. In fact, it is often through suffering that God can transform us it's a different kind of love that emerges from suffering. It's a different kind of love that emerges when we sense our own death looming. When we come close to death because someone that we care about deeply or love is dying or has passed. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of poignancy about how precious life is. And if I have something to say, I better say it now. If I need to make some amends, I better do it now. If I'm going to share love, I better do it right now because death and doom are at the doorstep. I think that's what we see in our story today when this unnamed woman burst into this dinner setting breaks open an expensive jar of ointment and lavishes it all over jesus and those who have yet to sense the gravity of the situation respond in anger and scold her mark says but jesus sees it very differently did you hear what he said and right there in verse six after they scold her mark records but jesus says let her alone why do you trouble her now is the time he says because you will not always have me there's a sense of now a sense of urgency and poignancy that this is the moment that this is not going to be this way much longer jesus sees his own personal death or doom is near those around him have yet to grasp all of that but this unnamed woman portrays it vividly by her actions and jesus gives them a clue and says oh my she's preparing me for burial even now it's a different kind of love that responds or comes through suffering 
that faces death and doom. This kind of love was embodied in the person of John Wesley throughout his life. As the early Methodist movement is just getting started, 1739, he wrote a little booklet called The Character of a Methodist. I want to read just a few sentences for you from that because he captures it so powerfully. He says this about Methodists. Methodists cheerfully receive everything from Christ saying, the Lord's will is good. And whether God gives or takes away, a Methodist equally blesses the Lord's name in ease or pain, in sickness and health, in life or death. Methodists give thanks from the bottom of their hearts to God who orders everything for good. They have wholly committed body and soul into the hands of a faithful creator. They have cast all care on God who cares for them. Because of this, they fear nothing and in all things rest on Christ, having made their requests known to God with thanksgiving. Wesley transformed his time and left such a great legacy because he helped people grasp the gravity of being a follower of Christ and not only have the form of religion, but he helped them experience the power of godliness is what he said. He said, I don't want people just to have the form of religion or the form of godliness or to be going through the motions, but I want them to experience the power of God alive in their lives. When we're dealing with difficulties that grip our souls, when we're really struggling with something, we need to not just know about God, but have the experience of the power of God's life alive in our lives, coursing through our veins. That's hard to grasp sometimes. I've got a little spiritual exercise. If you're still having trouble opening yourself and experiencing God's spiritual power alive in your life, I've, I've printed it in the outline. It's a prayer that you can personalize, all gracious and all giving God, grant that I, I may now see your goodness all around me. And may I, trusting in you, feel your power as I deal with this difficulty of, and then I've left it blank so you can put your own personal issue there. It so easily consumes me, but let me open myself to your calming spirit right now that you may fill me with your love. In your word, you remind me, and then I leave another blank. And I want you to put a scriptural promise there, a Bible verse. Thank you, God, for fortifying me so that I may face my fears, knowing that you are with me now and always. I go forward as a disciple of Christ to live joyfully and passionately the life you have given me. So if you fill it out, let me just read it through one more time. I've filled in the blanks as an example. All gracious and all giving God, grant that I may now see your goodness all around me. And may I, trusting in you, feel your power as I deal with this difficulty and I just put in inadequate finances. It so easily consumes me, but let me open myself to your calming spirit right now that you may fill me with your love. In your word, you remind me, then I used a verse out of today's text, that with you, all things are possible. 
Thank you, God, for fortifying me so that I may face my fears, knowing that you are with me now and always. I go forward as a disciple of Christ to live joyfully and passionately the life you have given me. Amen. You can personalize that. You can use it for some difficulty you're dealing with now or some other time. Or you might need to read it over and over for a while till it becomes a reality for you. I encourage you to use it, though, to help you trust God more deeply. The song that I told you about says this in the last verse. I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying, like tomorrow was a gift, and you've got eternity to think about what you do with it, what you could do with it, what can I do with it. What would I do with it? Amen. Thanks be to God.